Let's open our Bibles this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. Um, so tonight is part 6 of the Believer's Toolbox, um, and this one is Discipleship. And uh, it's uh, kind of interesting because you're like, how is discipleship really a tool? Well, it's in there, so just deal with it. Um, part six is discipleship. And I want to share with you guys something that um, I hope you might find a little bit interesting about this sermon. Is um, I actually wrote this sermon as a disciple. And technically, I still am a disciple. I am a disciple under my pastor. Um, but I wrote this sermon as a disciple before I was a pastor. Um, so it's kind of a, um, a dis from a disciple's point of view, if you will, which I do think um, adds some value to it, but uh, in, in a sense for those of us who aren't pastors here. Um, so bear that in mind, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. So Jesus, in, in the Gospels, he has 12 main disciples. Is there anybody here who knows all of them? I'll buy you a candy bar <laughs> if you know them all. Anybody? Nope. What was the first one you said? Artemis. Oh, I heard Artemis. Oh, Artemis. <laughs> okay, so here they are. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, same guy, different names, James the Lesser, Judas, Jude, or Thaddeus, two names, Matthew, otherwise known as Levi, Philip, Simon the Zealot, and Thomas. Okay, so I want you guys to have that memorized by next Sunday. So these are the, the men who are known as Jesus' main 12 disciples. They followed Jesus everywhere he went. They lived life with him, they lived life together, but most importantly, they learned from him as he taught them the ways of ministry and the ways of life. And the reality is for us, every Christian should have someone in the faith who they can learn from, who they can grow from and gain wisdom from. Jesus set the example of discipleship and passing the mantle on to a disciple to continue on the heart of discipleship. As Christians, we must learn from Jesus' discipleship of his men and learn how we too can be discipled or even be disciplers. So let's look at our text tonight. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 through 16, which says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, uh, for gathering us in this place tonight. God, I'm asking, Lord, that you would um, help us tonight. God, that you would speak to your children. God, that you would uh, show us, God, the wisdom and the knowledge that you have for us, Father, as we seek you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, discipleship is a word that is actually being used less and less in churches. Um, I, for one, grew up in church. I've told you guys, I, the first place I went outside of my home or the hospital as a baby was church. That's how long I've been going to church. 
But I was not discipled in any shape, form, or fashion within the house of God until I, until I was about, I think, 27. Think about that. I grew up in church, but never one, I didn't even understand what it was to be discipled or what discipleship truly was until I came to this fellowship in reality. So what discipleship isn't, and is, it's not classes, right? Some of these churches, they hold a six-week discipleship program, program. And at the end of six weeks, you get this certificate that says, I went through the such-and-such such church of whatever discipleship program, and now I know everything. It's like, yeah, I think that's, how, that's what the Bible said Jesus did with disciples, right? All right, guys, I got a six-week pro, six program for you, then we're going to be done. Go along your way. Discipleship is not Bible lessons or small groups. However, these are places that discipleship can take place. These are places, these are things that are good, right? Classes and Bible studies. I'm not putting those down by any stretch. But ultimately, these things in of themselves is not discipleship. So what is discipleship? Discipleship from the Greek word, is mentano, which means a learner or a pupil, which is a disciple. Now, a learner, right? We, we can all imagine what that means in the English language, a learner. But the word pupil is an interesting one because in modern English, when we think about pupil, we think about it as basically the same as a learner, right? Somebody who's, who's you, you know, you think about the karate movies and they're, they're like the master's pupil, right? But it has a much deeper meaning of that when we look at older definitions of the word pupil. Going back from the Latin word pupil, it actually meant an orphan or a ward, like a ward of the state. So in other words, to some, for someone to be discipled, they were ultimately saying, I am no longer so-and-so's son and daughter. I am a pupil of this person. I am a orphan now. I am a war. I am a ward to this master, if you will. If you're talk, still talking about karate, right? They are taking their life and they're submitting it under an authority of some sort. And that's exactly what we saw the disciples do, right? These people, they dropped their nets and they left Jesus. It wasn't like he he said okay, you guys are a fisherman, that's great, go ahead and do your thing, meet up with me after work, and then we'll talk about, you know, the old scrolls, and we'll just show you how to heal some people. And, and th but that's really not what happened, right? These, these people full-on quit their jobs to follow Jesus. They gave everything up to follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus, of course, made it very clear to these people what the cost would be. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. Uh, tells us of this encounter that Jesus had with some men who, who said they wanted to be uh, Jesus' disciples. It says, As we were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to them, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another said to him, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first... Another, he said to, to him, follow me. Jesus is calling this person to follow him. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now to explain these encounters, Jesus is the first man. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And you read the Gospels and that's true. Nowhere nowhere does it ever talk about Jesus went home for the night. He was a traveling preacher, if you will. He was much more than a preacher. But you read about his ministry, him and his disciples, they traveled all around the region continually declaring the kingdom of God. And he made sure that this man understood, listen, if you want to follow me, that's cool, but you're basically going to be homeless. Right? We're going to, we're, we're, we're going, we're going to travel around. We're going to be doing these things. He says, even animals have homes, but I don't. I have no place to call my home. Rather, I'm inviting people to come home with me. Right? And then the second encounter, Jesus asks someone to follow him. It's not even somebody begging him. Jesus says, you follow me. And his response is, Lord, let me go bury my father. And Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, there's something important we must understand. This phrase that this man says, let me first go bury my father. We read this in modern towns. We're thinking like, man, the funeral's on Saturday and Jesus can't even wait till Saturday. Like that's, that's kind of what it seems like to us, right? But the reality is this phrase is, this man is basically saying, my father's old and I want to see the end of his days. He's telling, you know, like he's, let's say 70, 80, something like that. He's nearing the end of his life and this man is telling Jesus, listen, when my dad dies, I'm going to bury him and then I'll come follow you. So it's an undetermined amount of time, right? And Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Why? Because the kingdom of God is what brings life to the dead who are dead spiritually. Jesus is making clear to him that, listen, we're not, I get it, right? Like we want to see, we want to see the end of our parents' life. We want to see these elements of things. But what I am here to do is to proclaim the kingdom of God. And then another said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me fair, say farewell to those in my home. Again, it's not like, you know, we're, here we are in Pasco. It's like, I got to drive home real quick, 20 minutes, and say goodbye. We're talking about a voyage back to the homeland to say, hey, here's what I'm doing. This rabbi decided that I could follow him. It's a big deal. I'm going to follow him. So if you want to send letters, send them to, you know, P.O. Box 7, Jerusalem. I'll check it every time we come through town. It's really not like that. They would have to make a journey and a long one to return to their home. That's what they call their home. Not like the house they live in, but the land that they're from. And Jesus says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Jesus is telling him, this isn't about going back. This is about going forward. This isn't about returning to old ways. This is about blazing new trails. So he makes clear to these people the cost of discipleship. But the reality is many of us, we, we look at this and we go, man, that's, that's a lot for Jesus to ask of them. But the truth is the cost of not 
being discipled. The cost of not going after Jesus is far greater than the cost will ever be to go after him. And as for these men, the Bible doesn't tell us that they decided to follow him. But what we do know is that there was the 12 main disciples and there was many other who were also called disciples that did follow him. So what is it for us today in 2023, right, to be discipled? The basis of it, we can find it pieced together in different scriptures. The first one is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. The writer of Hebrews is writing to uh, the Hebrew people and he's reminding them uh, not to return back to the old traditions, just as Jesus said, he who puts his hand to the power and looks back, and to look to their new spiritual fathers, their new leaders. And he writes, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are, te- or they are keeping watch over your souls and those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Think about this. This this verse should resonate to a lot of moms, right? If you think about your kids and they're being turds, it makes it hard to be a nice, loving mom. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. What does he mean by that? He means that those who are in leadership are watching over those they are leading. They are fervent in prayer. They are fervent in study. They are doing these things to benefit for you. And then he says, for those who have to give an account. You see, it's one thing to be a Christian walking in, in, in the ways of God and to take the mantle of leadership means that when you stand before God, you will not only be held accountable for your own life, as we all will, but they will also be held accountable for the way that they handled the lives that God put in their hands. This is why... We are told in the Bible to take uh, teachers who are teaching heresy very seriously. Because when they stand before God, they will have the blood of countless people on their hands because of their mishandling of leadership. So he tells them, listen, what they're doing is they're putting your life on their back. Their re- your, the responsibility of, of you in their, in their hands. And so he's reminding them, be happy. So that they can be happy. Don't put on a fake face. But he says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So in other words, don't be that person that when you walk in the room, everybody goes, (laughs) Right? With joy and not with groaning. That you're glad that they walked in the room and not, oh great. (laughs) They came to church today. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. That all of us, every, every one of us in this place, myself, that when, when I call up my pastor, he doesn't go, oh, Jerry's calling me. <laughs> What's it going to be this time? Right? But then he goes, oh, sweet. Jerry's calling. What's up, dude? Even if it's the worst of worst, even if it's bad news, that I can still not be a burden to his ministry. Because sometimes we go through hard times. We've got to talk to people. And that's okay, right? I tell my kids this all the time. It's not about the issue. It's about the way you talked about it, right? 
<laughs> we all have issues. We all have things we need to talk about, but we don't present them in a way of screaming and crying. Right? right? Now put it into adult words. Secondly, it's following the lead of leaders. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he tells them, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That Paul is declaring to them, I am doing my best to be a primary example to you as to how Christ lived. Discipling or being discipled is doing God's work and doing life with each other. Everything from laboring out of these walls, going outreaching, doing events, to the fun things, to fellowshipping, to church on Sundays, to simply just being around each other. Like sometimes we just all hang out, right? And we don't really have a plan. We just be the church, let things happen. that through these things intentional efforts are made that that real conversations are had that const constructive conversations are had that we grow and and are producing fruit through the time spent together so that's what it is to be discipled what is it to disciple and when i say this there's a broad range of what it is to disciple people if you're a parent you're a discipler in, in a different form of the word, right? Like, you ultimately are discipling your children. What was the, remember what we said, the definition of the word disciple, a learner or a pupil. They, were, they ain't no orphan, they got you. They were born into it. They didn't have a choice. So for us, what does it look like to be a discipler? Well, we have to be a leader. Jesus said in Mark 1, verse 17, he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So in other words, he's saying, do what I do and I will show you the way to do things right. right? He's saying, I will not only show you how to do it, I will be an example of how to do it. So as Jesus leads his disciples, so they should follow. And as Jesus leads through the Gospels, so we should follow. Just as we should strive to be like Jesus so that we are worth following. As a discipler, we should live as much like Jesus Christ as possible. And I'm talking spiritually. I'm not talking about elements. So we don't need to all go buy sandals and put on robes and... Stuff like that. There are people that do that, believe it or not. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living like Christ, loving like Christ, agape love. Ephesians 5, verse 1 through 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Think about that. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Right? We had a Mother's Day sermon recently and a Father's Day sermon recently. We talked a lot about how kids copy everything. Right? Because they admire what they're copying. Even when they're copying the not-so-good stuff. And so, Paul in the book of Ephesians draws this parallel. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Right? You ever had your kids copy you and they look totally ridiculous? but you're still so flattered because you know they're just trying to be just like mom, just like dad. That's what he's talking about. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, that we can do our best to be as much like Christ as possible, even though we'll probably look ridiculous in terms of paling in comparison. As a leader, we lead those who are under us by showing them how to submit to our leaders, our teachers. Again, Hebrews 3.17, right? We just, re- we just read it. Submit to you, your leaders, for they're keeping watch over your soul, so, uh, souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Every good leader should have someone they also are being led and taught by. This is what one of the things that makes our fellowship so unique and special is that every pastor in our fellowship has a pastor. So in other words, every pastor who gets a big head and starts doing dumb stuff, they have a pastor who's going to call them up and say, you getting a big head, dude, and you're doing dumb stuff. <laughs> we all need somebody to call us up and say that to us sometimes. Even pastors. That we have a leader who we can call and say, hey, you're a few steps ahead of me. I don't know what to do right here. So that we don't make the same mistakes as those before us. So that we can learn from them. No matter how far up you get on the chain in our fellowship, you you have a leader. Even Greg Mitchell, the leader of our fellowship, has a council of pastors who have the right to call him up and say, hey, you're getting a big, big head and you're doing dumb stuff. So as a leader, we too should lead by example to those who are under us, whether it's children or people in ministry or whatever, by submitting to our own leadership. But ultimately, all Christians are disciples to the one true teacher, Jesus Christ. He is the main discipler, and we are disciples under him. Acts eleven twenty six. Says and when he, uh, sorry, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Speaking of Paul the apostle, for a whole year they met with the church and taught great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That's the first time in the history that you find the word Christian is in Acts chapter eleven when they were being called Christians uh, by the the Romans. But you know what's interesting about this word Christian is that they were actually using it as an insult. They were trying to make fun of the Christians. And this word Christian literally means, uh, um, well, generally means a follower of Christ. But the most literal definition of it means little Christ. And so they were trying to go, ha ha, little Christ, little Christ. Like, right, we killed him. We're going to kill you too. That's probably what they're trying to get at. And they, the Christians heard that and they go, yeah, that sounds great. I ain't Christ, but I'll take little Christ, right? I'm just trying my best to be like, like Jesus. And so they took an insult and took it as a compliment. They're like, yeah, Christian. And now it's today, 2023, thousands of years later. That's what we call ourselves. Identifying as a follower of Christ or a little Christ ultimately makes us followers, pupils, disciples of Jesus Christ himself. That when we call ourselves a Christian, it's not just a title. It's not a religion. It's not just something we say. 
But if we understand what that means, when we call ourselves a Christian, we are calling ourselves a follower, a pupil, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our one true teacher. And following him means that we are willing to abandon all fleshly desires and commit it all to his name and to his glory, to follow him into eternity. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 25. And it's interesting. It says this. You read throughout the Gospels and you'll see him say, he said to one person or he said to the disciples or whatever. In this text it says, and he said to all. And I think he meant all. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses himself? Think about that. That we can pick up our cross daily and follow Christ. That's discipleship to the one true God, to the one true discipler the teacher. And he reminds us that if we will give up our lives for him, to follow him, to be the true meaning of a Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to lose our life in the worldly perspective, in a fleshly mindset, that we will find it in a spiritual perspective, and even more so in an eternal perspective. But if we try to save our life for our own sake from a fleshly mindset, we kill ourselves spiritually and we lose our life eternally. And then he says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his own soul? Think about that. Like, that's so many people in this world, that's what they want to do, right? I'm king of the world. Right? Richest men in the world, all these guys, like that's what they want to do. They want to conquer everything. And Jesus says, what good is any of that if it costs you your own soul? No matter how much success, no matter how much we find in this life, no matter how much we gain for ourselves, what good does it do us if it costs us our soul? Jesus says, pick up your cross, follow me, die to the ways of the world so that you can live in heaven, so that you can make heaven your home. Because simply we follow Christ because of who he is and who we are. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, perfect, died to save us from our sins. And we are not God. We are dirty, we're imperfect sinners in need of a Savior. That's why we live a life for him. That's why we pick up our cross and follow him. That's why we die to the ways of the world. So that we can live for Christ. And most importantly, live in eternity in heaven. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.